invite you to take a Bible and turn, if you will, to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6. We are continuing in a sermon series that we have entitled, We Are Wesley, and we're looking this fall at some of those core values that have formed us in the past that continue to form us today and that will lead us into the future. Today we're looking at We Are Wesley. We are a connected, connected people. When I think about a lot of Protestants particularly, when I think about a lot of Christians in the American culture, we are so individualistic. We're so focused on the individual that we don't sometimes have a deep and rich theology of the church, of the body of Christ. Sometimes, sometimes we know better what the church does than who the church is. We want to think today about what it means that in the Hebrew Bible, God called out a people. He called out the people of Israel, and he decided he chose to work through those people to be a blessing to the whole human race. And then when we turn to the New Testament, we, we see God in Christ doing the exact same thing. He calls out a people. He calls out a people, he chooses a people, and he connects those people to each other. It is important to understand what the New Testament teaches about being the church. We're not just a cool organization that sings great music. We are the body of Christ. That's who we are. We are the physical presence of Jesus in the world. For good or ill, we're the only physical presence that Jesus has in the world now. We are the physical presence of Jesus in the world as the body of Christ today, and we are animated, energized by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ so that Jesus can continue doing his work through us. So I hope that when we leave this place this morning, we'll have a better understanding of what it means to, to be the body of Christ, the church, what it means to be called and chosen, placed in relationship with each other, and connected to each other for God's purposes in the world. So the text that I've chosen to present to you this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. I'll begin reading at the 12th verse. Now, during those days, what days? These early days of the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Now, during those days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. When we look at how much Jesus prayed, it should motivate us to a deeper, richer prayer life. When we look at how much Jesus, as the Son of God, prayed, how much more should we, as the adopted children of God, prayed? Why was Jesus praying at this particular point in the Gospel of Luke? Keep reading. And when the day came, Jesus called his disciples, and he chose 12 
of them. He did not choose 11. He did not choose 13. He chose 12 to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He is reconstituting the new Israel. And when day came, he called his followers. And from among his followers, he chose 12 of them. And he also named these 12 to be the apostles. That means the sent ones. These 12 will go into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And your next question should be, wonder who these 12 were. And Luke tells you, as does all the other Gospels tell you, Simon, Simon, whom he named Peter, always comes first in the list. Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew. Sometimes we call him Nathaniel. Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, another Simon, who was called the Zealot. And Judas, son of James, and another Judas, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is, my friends, the Word of God. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus had a passion for bringing people together. You see him doing that throughout the Gospels. He had a passion for bringing people together so that he could pour his life into them, change them, and then use them to do his ministry in the world. One of the first things we see Jesus doing after a night of prayer, he knew how to make decisions after a night of prayer, was he called forth his disciples and from among his followers, his disciples, he chose 12, specifically 12. By this point in Jesus' ministry, you see him already evidencing the fact that he's working through a group. When I look at the Hebrew Bible or the Christian Testament, one of the things I notice is there are no lone rangers. He calls us to himself, and then he places us in the Christian community. He calls us to himself, then he places us in the body of Christ. Here in this text, we, we see Jesus calling the twelve. Now, I don't need to tell you if you've studied New Testament at all, these 12 were a motley group in so many ways. Motley, kaleidoscopic, diverse, differentiated, unique, unusual. That's these 12 that he called. And I hope that you know these people. You are sitting here this morning in High Point, North Carolina, because these people responded to the call, and they continued in the call, and they went forth as apostles, and the word has made it all the way to High Point, North Carolina. When you look at these 12, you see the great diversity and creativity of God. You see that four of them were simple, simple fishermen from up in the Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. Four of them were fishermen. Uh, among the fishermen, there's two sets of brothers. Sometimes we need to learn how to work 
within our family. Within the two sets of fishermen, uh, within the fishermen, there's two sets of brothers. Of course, there's, there's, there's Simon Peter, whose name always comes first in the list. There's Simon Peter, and then there's Andrew, his brother, and then the other set of brothers, James and John. So it was somewhat of a family gathering, at least for four of them here in the list of the 12. And then, of course, there's, there's a tax collector in their midst, Matthew, sometimes called Levi. Sometimes we don't understand why tax collectors figure so prominently in the Gospels. But they figure so prominently because the Jewish people at this point, as most of their history, they are not under self-rule They don't have their own homeland under their own control. They are there in their homeland, but they're being controlled by the Romans. Still yet another people that sought to conquer and did conquer the Jewish people. They're under control of the Romans. And the tax collectors were those members of the Jewish community here in the New Testament who worked for the Romans, worked for the occupiers, worked for the oppressors. They extracted tax from the Jewish people. They extracted tax from the Jewish people for living upon a land that God had given the Jewish people. So these tax collectors, for so many reasons, were scorned by the people. Here's Matthew, a tax collector, Levi, a tax collector. He's called to be among the twelve. I hope that you also notice that there with Matthew, the tax collector, is the other Simon, It's not as well known, but I want to be sure and introduce you to him. Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. The the Zealots were those Jews who were so opposed to Roman occupation that they were more than willing to pick up arms and to use violence to cast the Roman oppressors out of their country. So there's Matthew. Just a group of 12 here. There's Matthew among the group of 12. He worked for the Romans. There's Simon the Zealot among the group of 12 who hated, even to the extent of violence, the Romans. Can you imagine those after-dinner conversations? Talk about two people from two very, very, very different political perspectives. Matthew, Simon the Zealot. One of the things that this culture, this age, particularly in the United States, fails to remember that Jesus, I think, is teaching us here is that the Christian community transcends all political divisions because we have another king. We have another kingdom. I know that in this culture, everything that's ever said is filtered through American political lenses But we in the Christian community, we should know our Christian faith better than we know our American politics. And if we do, we realize we always transcend the political issues or the political polarity that's present in any age or any culture. Here in the the 12, there was Matthew working for the Romans. There's Simon the Zealot hating the Romans. You keep looking at the list, you see that there was one who denied Jesus Simon Peter, but still yet he becomes the spokesperson. He's always listed first in the list of the apostles. But there's Peter who denied Jesus. There's Thomas who doubted Jesus. There are actually two of them here among the 12 that the Gospels tell us they had a bad temper. 
James and John. Do you remember the nickname for James and John in the Gospels? They're the sons of thunder. Now, we think they were called the sons of thunder, these two brothers, because they were so passionate and temperamental. They were so emotional. Maybe they had a hard time restraining themselves. They're part of the 12 here. Here's Peter that keeps getting mentioned in the list. Of course, personality-wise, he was rather bold. He was confident. He was courageous, sometimes too impulsive. But what fascinates me is when I look at Peter, I look at his brother Andrew. We don't know a lot about Andrew. So that makes me like Andrew. Andrew was more than willing to live in the shadow of his brother Peter. We also see a couple Jameses here in the text. There's one James as the brother of John, sons of thunder. But there's another James that we call, we call James the Lesser. Would you like to enter history as James the Lesser? We call him James the Lesser to differentiate him from the other James because we know almost nothing about this James. So here is this James willing to live and to die in obscurity. And then, of course, there's Nathaniel, or called Bartholomew. He's the cynic in the crowd. You know any of those? Nathaniel is the cynic in the crowd. In John chapter 1, when Philip comes to Nathaniel, Bartholomew, and says to him, we have found the Messiah, it is Jesus of Nazareth, do you remember how Nathaniel responds? He responds, I think, in his typical cynical fashion, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a backwater town, not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Certainly, that's not where the Messiah, the Christ, will come from. You know, I could take what Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of, and then I could fill in the blank and offend a great deal of you people here in this sanctuary. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's Nathaniel Bartholomew's personality. And of course, one of these 12 turned out very, very badly. But the interesting thing about that one, the one that's always referred to as the traitor, the betrayer, he's probably the most intelligent of all the disciples. We think that because he's the only one that comes from Judah down around Jerusalem. The rest of these are simple country folk from up in the Galilee. But Judas Iscariot came from down around Jerusalem. That's clear in the Gospels. So he was probably the most educated. Let that sink in for a moment. Judas Iscariot, most educated. Judas Iscariot controlled by his greed, controlled by his desire to control other people. That's Judas, and you know how that story ends. This really is an unlikely crew that Jesus chose to change the world. But this diverse group of men have something in common. If you read the Gospels, you realize this diverse group of men had a flexible teachable, willing spirit. They were flexible and teachable and willing. You know, it's so good to be flexible. The older I get, the harder it is for me to be flexible. And don't laugh, some of you haven't been flexible since the Nixon administration. <laughs> but it's good to be flexible. It's good to be 
teachable. It's good to be willing. That's what these 12 have in common, and that's why Jesus could use them to change the world. Jesus had a passion to call people together. His Holy Spirit continued to do the same thing, continues to do the same thing. If you look on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit fell when they were all in one accord in one place. The Spirit fell. The Spirit endowed them with the ability to boldly profess the gospel to the world. And every one of these early disciples, except John, every one of these early disciples would, would give their life, would die a violent death because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit fell on them at Pentecost. At the end of chapter 2, after you see Peter, the spokesman, delivering the sermon there in Acts 2, you see what the church looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the prayers of the people. They devoted themselves to the sharing of Holy Communion. And the text there in Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship. Now, in the New Testament Greek, the word fellowship is very specific. It's a Greek word, koinonia. Sometimes we, we hear Sunday school classes named koinonia class. It's the New Testament word for fellowship, and it means a deep, rich sharing of life. You know, just because you put up a table and throw some fried chicken on it, that doesn't mean fellowship happens. Biblical fellowship is a deep, rich sharing, a partnership in life. That's who the early Christians were, and that's who we seek to be. To be a Christian means to be connected to other people. When Jesus saves us, redeems us, calls us, chooses us, he puts us in relationship. I've always thought that Jesus brought some rather strange brothers and sisters into my life. But Jesus always shows up, bringing other brothers and sisters into our life. All Christians are called to be connected. No long rangers in the kingdom of God. We are the body of Christ. That means we encourage each other. That means we care for each other. I'm so glad in Sunday school I learned Galatians 6, 2. Bear ye one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. I've only been to California once to see the great majestic redwood trees. But if you look at those redwood trees, you see that some of them are 300 feet tall. Some of them are 2,500 years old. You would think those majestic trees would have deep, deep root systems. But the arborists tell us that they really don't. But they have a shallow root system, and all the roots of all the redwoods are intertwined with each other. And that's why they can withstand the storms of life. We are connected to others. I hope you're going deeper with everybody in your church family. I hope you're being intentional about going deeper with everybody in your church family. But we're connected with that great we're connected to that great stream of saints that have existed throughout history, Christian history. We believe in the communion of the saints. Those who have gone before us, those who are on the other side. Whenever we worship heaven and earth meet, The church, the fellowship of the Christian community is one. We're connected with those who go throughout history, that grand, great stream of Christians throughout history. I'm so grateful that every time I wake up as a Christian, every morning, I know that I'm participating in something 
far beyond myself. And I hope that you know that. We're part of that great stream that's flowed throughout history. We're part of that great community that stretches around the world today. There's not bodies of Christ. There's one body of Christ. Next week, we do have a joint combined service. It is at what time? 10 a.m. down in the fellowship hall or the contemporary worship setting. It's important that occasionally we come together. Normally, we have three worshiping communities on Sunday morning that we come together. It's going to be an amazing time. You can worship as, as, a, as one congregation. Then you can walk into the dining hall, and you're going to see these displays from these people with whom we're in partnership with. And we're in partnership with so many people. We're connected to so many people around High Point. But we also are very involved in places like the Dominican Republic. We have a mission team leaving there within, leaving here to go there within two weeks. We're very involved in India. We're very involved in Kenya because we are Wesley. And that means we are a connected people. May we seek to deepen those connections. Amen.